Ooh. Microphone works. That microphone is on. That totally, totally works. All right. Hey, um, I want to uh, I want to give a shout out. Speaking of all the meat we ate the other day, it was really tremendous. But I just want to give a shout out to Dan and Janie Burnett for their hospitality. Uh, I I don't even know. I I couldn't count how many events, how many small groups, how many gatherings, how many parties they have had at their house. And I just I really thank you for being such a great steward of what God has given you, and we all benefit from it. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. And, uh, and hey, family worship, kids and youth, stoked that you are in here with us today. Stoked to have you. Uh, you're back in school. Show of hands. How many, uh, how many kids, youth, are excited about being back in school? How, like both of you? Outstanding. Good. Uh, parents, show of hands. Parents, how many are excited your kids are back in school? Yes, that's, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. It's, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? It's good. Uh, hey, so, uh, so as Doug said, the, there's a reason that we do these family worship Sundays. There's a value in having our kids in age-appropriate learning. But also, there's a, a great body of research that talks about what it is that causes kids, after they grow past high school, to stay in the church and stay in the faith. And one of the main factors is intergenerational worship. It's being together with the larger family of God. And so we, uh, we really love leaning into that. Uh, Today, we are wrapping up our series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, learning to pray like Jesus, and um, uh, there's there's a quote I threw out some weeks ago, I think, I don't think here, I think I put it in an email, but it's it's Teresa of Avila, one of the spiritual masters of centuries past, and she was approached by a, a young nun who came to her and said, what do I need to do if I want to grow into a spiritually mature person? And her answer is so instructive. She said, every day, pray the Lord's Prayer, but take an hour to pray it, right? And what she was referring to there is what we've been talking about in this series is that that Jesus, he, he was asked by his disciples, how can we pray? Teach us to pray the way that you pray. And his answer was what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's much more than a, a prayer that we say. It is a teaching from Jesus on what it looks like to be people who are prayerful and in that are growing into disciples who look more and more like Jesus. So uh, this is our last week in this series. I want to do a recap of the the seven words that we've gone through thus far, looking at the Lord's Prayer. So if, um, if you have your beads, pull those out right now. Kids, I know you maybe got a set of beads on the way in. Uh, but there's seven beads here, and this, Christians have been doing this for centuries. It's not new to us, but it's just a way to sort of in a tactile, tangible way to keep ourselves on task as we pray. So the, the first word, and if, if you've got your beads, put your thumb on the first bead. The first word is reflect. Our Father in heaven. Jesus says when you come to God and you pray, the first thing that you do is you reflect on who it is that you are praying to. What is this God like? And friends, this changes everything. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So Jesus says every day when you pray, reflect on the fact that God, if you were to sum him up in just one word, that word is Father. He's like a really, really good Father. Second word and second bead, if you're holding these, is worship. 
hallowed be your name. If we're reflecting on what God is like and we're really tuned in to what God is all about, to who he is, the most natural response to that is gratitude. It's praising God for who he is. So when we come to God in prayer, we, we take some minutes and we worship him as who he is. Third word. Third word is surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we are saying to God, I trust you enough that when, when my will and your will are not lined up, I'm going to go with your will. We surrender ourselves to God and what he wants for us. Fourth is ask. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says to us, do not hesitate to ask your good father for what it is you need, what it is you want. Bring those needs to him. Fifth is grace. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And friends, here we get really honest about our sin. Here we get really real. We confess where we have gone wrong and we ask God's forgiveness and we pray that God gives us grace to forgive those who have wronged us as well. This is huge. Jesus says, make this part of your daily prayer to, give, to receive grace from God and to give it away to others. Last week, we talked about word six. Let's protect. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're praying here that God will help us to live each day in a way that honors him. We pray for his help in those areas where we need his protection, where we know temptation will come. We pray that he will protect us from the enemy as well. And friends, that brings us to today, to our final word in the Lord's Prayer, and that word is yours. Yours. We pray for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And friends, why, think about this, why this ending? Why does the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray end in this particular way? What does it tell us about who God is, about who we are, about uh, the ways that Jesus would want to shape us as his disciples? And I'd sum it up this way. Maybe just kind of a shorthand for us to think about as we go through this teaching this morning. This This is four of the most freeing words that you will ever say. It's not about me. We pray yours because we need Jesus to teach us it's not about me. Uh, Let's pray. Let's pray together. And then we'll look at our text. Pray it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Father, we pray this morning as we come before you that you would meet us wherever we're at. Fill us with your spirit and liven our hearts uh, to hear and to receive and to act on your word this morning. We pray that we would indeed become more like Christ. 
in our inner character, in our outer behavior, in our missional presence in the world, that we would be like Jesus. And God, for each of us, wherever we're at in that journey, if we've walked with you for a long time or we're just thinking about it, God, meet us there. Uh, We pray all this, trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today's word is yours. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. So, in praying yours, we're also saying it's not mine. When we're praying yours, we're saying it's not about me. We're saying, God, it's, it's about you. That you are the creator, that you are the sustainer, that you are the one who paid to forgive my sins. You are the savior You are the one who gives new life. You are the one who is working transformation in me. You are the one who is teaching me how to live. Saying, Jesus, it is ultimately about you, not about me. And friends, here's why this is important and why we need to be praying this as Jesus taught us to pray. Don't want to shock anybody, but you and I have a natural bent to make ourselves the center of the universe. In our defense, why wouldn't we? Who else are we going to make the center if not us? Yes? Uh, I'll talk about me. I I don't want to say this about you. Um, I don't want to suggest that maybe you're a little bit self-centered, but you probably are. And so am I. And and understand here, I'm not saying selfish. Right? If, if there's some part of you that's like, wait a minute, I think of others, I do things for others. This is something a little different. Not necessarily selfish, but self-centered. We have a tendency to make it about us. My desires are what become my motivations. What seems right to me determines my moral choices. What I feel a reasonable person would do in any given situation, that becomes the standard by which I judge the other people around me, right? It's me, 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 and a little more me. Even when we're intent on following God, often this, this will sneak in along with it. And, you know, in, in the, the most sincere of us, in our most sincere moments of wanting to follow Jesus, if we aren't attentive to this, we can actually follow Jesus in a really me-centered way. Uh, There's a sociologist, well-known sociologist named Christian Smith, and a few years ago, he coined this term that I find so useful. He said, when you survey American religious people, he's thinking mostly Christians, but saying basically every American who's religious, the dominant religion in America, he says, is what he calls moral therapeutic deism. Being really good, that's the moral part. Deism, that means I believe in God, but he's kind of somewhere out there and he's probably not really involved in my life. That's the deism part. But for our purposes today, the therapeutic is the part that's really significant. It means that basically, in our religious attempts, we look at God as a being who is there for our convenience. His job is to make my life nice and to serve me. That's the way, that's sort of our default as Americans and what it means to be a religious person. And again, this is our natural bent. Jesus would disciple us into something different. To follow him 
is to make him the center. And we have to learn that. We have to be trained by Jesus how to do that. So, it says when you pray, pray this way. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Now, um, I find it helpful to kind of look at each of those in turn. So let's take a couple minutes on each of those, kingdom and power and glory, because perhaps there's some part of you that says, actually, when I think about it, I'm very happy for God to have the kingdom and the power and the glory. I have no interest in running the universe. He can have his kingdom, right? He can have the power. He can have the glory, perhaps. But I would suggest, in a way, maybe we want those things too. Kingdom. Or uh, the, the word I want to put here is the word authority. Sometimes you and I crave authority, and we crave it in a me-centered way. So when we pray, yours is the kingdom, really what we're talking about is authority. So if you're here for it, kind of flashback in your mind to a few weeks back when we talked about surrender, when we talked about what kingdom is, God's kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom is the place where the king rules. The king is the place, uh, kingdom is the place where the king has the final say, where the king's authority is realized, is recognized. So, think of authority this way. Think of authority as the right to rule. And maybe, maybe you and I don't want to run God's kingdom. We're happy for God to run God's kingdom. But there's a good chance that we want to run our own. And it kind of bothers us when God steps in and he wants authority in our little kingdom as well. Right? You know what I mean when I say your little kingdom? Whatever your domain is, your household, your workplace, your inner self. That's, you could say, is our kingdom. That's the realm where we want to exercise authority, where we want to have the right to rule. Uh, so here's an inter- interaction I had a few weeks back, and it's not unique. It's an interaction I've had about one million times since I've been a pastor. But uh, somebody was upset with me about something that I said on a Sunday. Was upset in particular uh, about a, a command in the Bible that they, they didn't want to do. It didn't sit well. We all relate to that. We all have our list of our things that we would prefer were not in the Bible. But the interaction went something like this. They came to me and they were very offended. They say, how dare you say I can't do that? And my response is, well, actually, I I didn't say you can't do that. I told you what the Bible says. And that's how I'm reading this. Do you read it differently? And there's a little, you know, there's a little round and round about it. But at at the end of the day, friends, that's where you and I live all the time. The question for us is, do we want God to be our authority? Do we trust him for that? Do we think that Jesus is wise enough? Do we think that he's good enough that we can trust him, even when we come to these points where it chafes against us, that he's the one with the authority? St. Augustine, centuries ago, said that we are offended by God being God because we want that role as well. Right? What's happening there when we come to that place? Right? You, uh, I mean, you could say it's, it's a kingdom issue. It's, it's an authority issue. Who is the one who gets to say how things are going to be? 
Our flesh's answer is me. Mine is the kingdom. Jesus is teaching us, as we follow him in prayer, he's teaching us how to pray yours is the kingdom and come to a place where we mean it and where we believe that that is good and how we actually want it. Uh, Here's what it looks like for me. When I pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, and and I mean really pray it, really sit with it, I'm praying, God, yours, yours is the kingdom, Sometimes things come to mind where I recognize that, that I'm out of line, where I'm trying to be king instead of allowing God to be the one who's king. And when, when that happens, that's an opportunity to repent. That's an opportunity to change directions and say, okay, and actually what it does is it sends me back into the rest of the prayer, right? It maybe sends me back to confess where I recognize that and I go, okay, this is, this is a sin issue in me. And I confess, and I ask God's forgiveness in that. And then, and then that might take me to protect. God, help me to do better in that today, because I'm recognizing that's a place where I'm really weak. And if I stay in it, then, then maybe I come to a place, as I'm feeling through my own resistance, coming to a place of reflecting again on who God is and reminding myself, okay, this is the God who didn't spare his own son because he loves me that much. I can trust him in this. And then that takes me to surrender. Do you, do you see how this works? As we live into what Jesus has taught us, as we live into praying in the way that he's taught us, it becomes a space where Jesus is able to shape us more and more into the people that he is making us to be. And, and friends, can, can you see how much freedom there is in that? I mean, just think for a second. Can you see what a gift it is? that you and I don't have to run the universe, that there is a God who loves us enough and can be trusted enough that we can step aside and let him actually be king. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the authority. It's not about me. Second part, yours is the power. And think here for, a pow- for power. Think about ability. Right? When we're talking about power, we're talking about the capability to get things done. Now, power and authority, they're, they're related, but they're not the same. They're a little bit different. Right? We can think of authority as the right to rule, and with that, think maybe of power as the ability to rule. If authority is the right to rule, power is the ability to rule. Here's an example. So, let's say one night... I'm in my living room, and I I look out the sliding glass door into the backyard, and I see there's some dude lurking around the yard, right? I can go to the door, and I can say to him, hey, this is my house. you got to get out of here. Now, I have authority to say that. It is my house, and he shouldn't be in my yard. So, so far, so good, yes? But let's say the guy is really big. And I look at him and I say, this man is bigger and stronger than I am. If he says, no, I don't want to leave your your yard, I may not have the power to make him do so. I have the authority, but I might not have the power. Now, with me so far? Okay. Now, if I call 911, and if two or three or four police officers, they come and they show up in my yard, they also have authority to tell this person, hey, you need to go. And conveniently, they also have the power 
to make it happen as well. Right? In that case, they have both. We're praying, yours is the kingdom. God, you have the authority. Yours is the power. You have the ability as well. And Jesus wants us to remember that. That not only is God a good God who wants good things for us and his intentions for us are always proper, but also this is a God who has the power to make things happen. Do we trust that that is the case? Again, Teresa of Avila, it's a totally different context, but she said, she said, for most Christians, she says, for most of us, we don't falter when it comes to believing that God is loving. We falter when it comes to believing that he will do something on our behalf. Jesus wants to teach us to be the kind of people who will take God at his word. And we don't shy back from asking because we know that he has the power to do. What's more, we want him to shape in us a proper way of using power also. Because... uh, Each of us, whether we feel it or not, each of us does have a certain amount of power in life. We have capacity to influence. We have capacity to do. And one of the great struggles is learning to do that well. Example. So there's this this episode in the Gospels, maybe you know it, where two of the disciples, it's James and John, it's always James and John, two of the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, When you come in power, when you take your throne as king, when all authority is given to you, right? See, when you take your throne as king, we want to have thrones next to yours and sit on your left and on your right. In other words, they're like, make us the vice presidents, Jesus, and we'll help you govern over all the rest of these losers. and um, And this, you can imagine, went over super well with the other ten disciples. They were like, oh, yeah. We're, no, they weren't. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good moment. But uh, listen to Jesus' answer. It's so instructive. Listen to Jesus' answer and what it tells us about how we are to use power when we find that we have power. Hear this. Jesus called the disciples together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now note here, folks, note here, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting power, or he doesn't tell them, no, I'm never going to give you power. He, in fact, does. All the disciples enjoy incredible power. But... He points them instead towards the way that they will use power. He says the world's way of using power is once you have it, you lord it over other people. You use power in the world, you use power to serve yourself. Because we're me-centered people in a me-centered world. If we have power, it's something that's used for our own enrichment, for our own benefit. Jesus is not with you, that's not how it is to be. If you have power, use that to serve. You want to be great? Pick up a broom. You want to be first? Become the slave of all. Jesus calls us 
to this way of prayer because he is teaching us how to use power well. Here's, okay, this is a recent example for me, really recent, like last week. Uh, those, those who were here last Sunday, we had uh, my friend Janelle was here teaching last Sunday. So, just thinking about this. So, why didn't I invite Janelle to teach last week? Right? She's gifted, and she has something to say. That part's a given, and there would be no invitation if that wasn't part of it. But I have a lot of pastor friends who are gifted and have something to say. Uh, the reason that when, when we do have a, a guest preacher here, uh, usually I invite a woman because they have a lot fewer opportunities to come and to preach if that is their gift. I don't like it, but that's the reality, and that's, that's kind of front and center for me. I, I can't change that in the whole world, but I have just a little bit of power in this world. So when I have an opportunity, I, I bring in a woman to teach. Uh, and then for Janelle in particular, uh, now with her being a, a side B Christian as well, uh, you can imagine the invitations are even fewer. Uh, while most Bible-believing churches would look at that and say, okay, as an LGBT person, you are making a great choice in following a biblical sexual ethic, and they might be excited about that, but it's sad to say, there's not always the same opportunity. For some, for some folks, it's a little much. It's like, really glad that's who you are, that's what you're doing, but I'm not going to put you up in front of a bunch of people. Well, I can't change that everywhere but I have just a little bit of power in this realm. So I say, okay, I have Janelle. And I'm, I'm bringing her next month to a pastor group that I'm a part of as well, and she's going to give a teaching for them on what your LGB congregants wish that your pastors knew, blah, blah, blah. So this, this is part of my practice. When I find I have power, I, I'm learning from Jesus what it looks like to use that on behalf of others. Um, Writing's another area where, you know, in in the land of authors, I'm an incredibly small fish. But I got access to a pond that not many pastors get access to, which is a long story and a minor miracle in and of itself. But my my publisher pointed out with my latest book, he said, you know, this would be a great book to have some stories in there, to invite other people to write a story to end each chapter in this book. And I was like, man, you're right. That would be awesome. And, uh, and so for that, I, I do have a lot of friends who are authors, but I didn't ask any of them. I asked friends who aren't authors. And I, most of the people that I asked are women or people of color or both. And the reason being because it's really, really hard for them to get into publishing. And, it's, and now they are. Now if they decide to, to write, they can say, I am a published author. I've got an excerpt in this book. So, do you, do you see what I'm saying here? Think about, you're welcome. Think about the ways that you have power. What are those realms where you have just a little bit of influence? And for most of us, it's probably not big. It's the kind of thing you could just overlook. But think about, where do I have a little bit of power? Maybe in my workplace. Maybe among my neighbors. Maybe in my home. Where are those places? And then ask Jesus to be teaching you, what does it look like to use my power to serve rather than just to bless myself? You get it? Jesus tells us to pray this. Yours, Jesus, 
Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And finally, yours is the glory. I'm using the word accolades here uh, because the other word started with A, and so I have to make this one start with A. That's <laughs> glory. We want credit. We want recognition. We want to be seen and we want to be praised for what we do. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong about uh, being proud of doing good work. There's nothing wrong about seeing something we, we've accomplished and rejoicing in that. There's nothing wrong about receiving a word of compliment or encouragement from someone else about that. In fact, in fact, one of the frequent commands in the New Testament is to give each other encouragement. We actually need that. But the question, friends, that we want to ask inside of that is, is, uh, is that all about me? Is it all about me? How does God figure into this? Does he get glory in what I do as well? And there's a fascinating passage in Deuteronomy. And, and this, this just has like modern America written all over it. So hear this. The context is uh, for centuries now, the people of Israel have been slaves. And then they went from being slaves to being refugees. So they've like had nothing and then had more nothing. But... God says to him, this is about to change. You're going to cross over into this land that I've promised you. And for the first time in your lives, you're going to be able to put down roots. You're going to be able to build houses. You're going to be able to plant vineyards. You're going to, basically, you're going to begin to start amassing wealth. You're going to be able to build a life. And they've never had this before. And so God warns them. He says, there is a new danger that you are coming to that's going to come with the prosperity that's coming your way. Hear this, fellow American Christians. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise... When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied. Does it sound like us yet? Mm -hmm. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, key line, here's this. You may say to yourself, my power And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Isn't this interesting? We might forget, friends, that it's God that gave us the ability to do that thing. Whatever that thing is that maybe we're proud of, God gave us the ability. Kids and youth, think about this for you. When you go to school, you nail that test. You know, you come home, gold star, 100%. You nailed it. It's very easy to say, hey, I'm pretty smart. But did you give yourself that smart brain? Or did maybe that come from somewhere else? It's God who gave you the ability. Or you might come home and you say, I studied my guts out. I worked so hard. I'm so proud of myself. Good. Be proud of yourself. But remember, who is it that gave you the ability to study hard and do well? Right? God's in that too. 
or maybe you're an athletic superstar, right, and you accomplish something terrific on the field, and it's like, yes, I'm so proud, great, be proud. But who gave you the amazing body and the physical capabilities to do that thing? If you look around you, you're going to see not everybody has that same innate physical capability. Not everybody has that same innate intelligence. Not everybody has that same work ethic that you find in yourself. Not everyone has that. Listen, there's, there should be no conflict be, between saying, man, I'm really proud of that, and at the same time saying, I'm so grateful for a God who's good, good enough to give me the ability to do that thing. Yours, God, we pray, yours is the glory. Uh, I'll tell you this. Um, of these three, authority, ability, accolades, this third one is probably the one that's hardest for me. Because um, in, in some ways, in some ways, I'll feel like I'm doing pretty good. But in other ways, or at other times, I am still an insecure little boy needing somebody to tell me that I have worth. And so I crave this. Maybe you do too. Or maybe for you, one of the other areas is the one that is more difficult. But this is an area where, where I'm growing and where Jesus is teaching me to let him be enough. And that comes in part as I'm praying and as you're praying. Yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's not about me. Let's uh, wrap up this teaching and wrap up our series with the amen, right? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What does amen mean? Uh, do you know what, what the, the Greek word for amen is that we translate into amen? Does anybody know this? It, what is it? Um, I think it means I agree. That's good. I agree. It is. The, the, the word there in the Greek is still the word Amen. We don't translate it, we just port it over. And the meaning of it, as Olin says, the meaning of it is, I agree, or so be it. Or uh, this is the way that uh, Dallas Willard put it, which always stuck with me. He says, when we say amen, we're saying, this is just the way we want it. We pray yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. And we're learning to pray in that, God, this is the way that we want it to be. Or, if you prefer, I think a, a, another translation of the word amen that totally works, uh, and it requires a little bit of a physical gesture, but another way we can say it is just yes. And it has to have the fist pump. Yes. That's what we're saying when we say amen. It's, it's not that we're hanging up the phone. It's not that the conversation is over. It's us saying, God, let it be. Let it be. Yes. Let's pray together.